Thank you for coming this morning. How many love Jesus? Can I get an amen? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. A godly legacy. Everybody say a godly legacy. Wouldn't legacy be a cool name for a Bible college? Wouldn't that be really awesome? Uh, if you didn't know, we started a Bible college, and we're aiming for accreditation. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. We have completed our second year, which in that second year, we completed teaching all of the classes that are needed to get a, a Bachelor's of Arts in Biblical Studies. So let's give it up for the team that did that. That's amazing. And now the only thing that we're lacking to apply for accreditation is a person with a master's degree in a librarian field. So this is very odd for us, and so they're not easy to come by, and we're at this point where we're thinking about sending my wife to school to get a master's as a librarian. So just stretch your hands towards her right now and say, help her, Jesus. I know it sounds like I'm teasing, but we don't know what else to do. It's like, well, just go and hire one. Have you found one lately? I mean, they're not really easy to come by, and then our criteria to work at the school is you have to be spirit-filled, bout it, bout it on the streets, preaching the gospel, so forth. So it's like it was hard enough just to find professors. You know, by God's grace, I've gotten my doctorate. I have friends with masters. My wife has her masters. So just keep it, keep us in prayer because our goal is to get uh, U.S. education federal funding and to be accredited. We don't just want a Bible institute. We don't just want a Bible class. We want to be as credited as North Park, as Moody, as UIC, any school in this area. And as I've taught you all before here, most of the colleges that started in Chicago were started by Christians as Bible colleges. Harvard, Princeton, Yale across the country, and even many big ones here. And so for Christians to be involved in education, there's nothing new about that. And many of them, just like Harvard, started with pastors. Harvard started with John Harvard donating his personal library to the school so that they could have a place to meet. And that has happened all throughout the years. Now the reason why I mention that is because we're going through Hebrews verse by verse. We're in chapter 11. Today we're going to be learning about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And what we'll see is that the only reason why the author brings them up is because they handed down the legacy of Abraham. If you haven't been with us for the last uh, few weeks, you can go back and listen to our message on Abraham being the founder of our faith. But I want you to see how important it is to have a legacy. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. Hebrews 11, verse 20 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. That's all it says. Let me just read it again. This is why the author, I believe Paul, brought them up. Okay, so what did, what did Isaac do? Did he walk on water? Did he split the Red Sea? Did he do amazing miracles? Just watch right here. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their what? Come on, everybody say future. You guys just gave me the permission to go another month without the karaoke screen because I want you to work your word. So everybody open up your Bibles. If you can't afford one, we have one free in the back. Open up your phones. I expect participation in this church. I want everyone to get there. I use the NIV as the King James only people say. It's the non-inspired version. That's a joke. It's the new international version. I want everyone to turn. Brothers in the back, we're going to go another month. July, no karaoke Bible. Thank you very much, Second Service, for reminding me how important it is for us to have our Bibles out and to participate with the preacher. Can I hear an amen? 
Look at verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 11. There is no point of me going faster than what you can do to get there. Use your phone. Use a paper Bible. Get it out. When the pastor asks you what is the next word, you guys say that word. What does that do for you? Let me tell you why that's important. It's important for you to learn how to work your word because the word will work for you. If you don't understand your Bible and you simply look to that screen and then you parrot whatever's being said because you don't understand, it will go right out of your memory when you leave here. If you're parroting or repeating something that you do understand, then you're doing it as a learner, as someone who studies. And the Bible says, study to show yourself approved. So that's why I want everybody to have Bibles. And let me just say this. This is not a coincidence that I felt this in our service, that we were getting spoiled by the karaoke screen, that also Pastor Lauren in the Wednesday Children's Church began to ask all of them to bring their Bibles. So even if you're dumb, get, grab out your smartphone, okay, and go to the Bible app. I've, I've been very clear with you that ignorance is dumb on purpose, okay? So even if you don't know how to use a smartphone, learn how to find your Bible on a smartphone. God loves dumb people. And trust me, I've been dumb before myself, okay? So learn how to use your Bible here because if you don't put your face into his book, Facebook will send you to hell. If you don't know how to use these phones for the glory of God, these things will be a, a detriment to your soul, okay? How many believe you're smart enough to use this phone and put your Bible on it? Amen? Pastor, well, I've been dumb. I haven't had a Bible on it. Well, repent of your foolishness. You've got Instagram on there. You've got Facebook on there, but you don't have his book on there. Well, Pastor, I don't know how to use it yet. Well, that may be an ignorance. It may be a stupidity. Once again, stupidity is being dumb on purpose. Ignorance is you just don't know, okay? So use your smartphone for the glory of God. Put a Bible on there. Learn how to use the app. Our personal app has a Bible that you can go there as well, okay? So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. If you're there, say, I'm there. Thank you. Now, that means everybody who said you're there, that means you're going to help me go through the lessons. Amen? Because I've already read this. How many know I already know this? And I'm teaching it because I've studied it. Now I want you to learn it and it to go to you and to go through you. So by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their what? Thank you. That's how I expect us to go through the rest of the service. Their future. Their future. Notice that it doesn't say that Isaac walked on the water. He split the Red Sea. He healed somebody. No, it says Isaac did something so basic that everyone here can do. Joseph, will you stand up with your son, please? I, I wish that sometimes when you go verse by verse through the Bible, it would land on special days. So this would be a great Father's Day message, by the way. But I just love you as a father. Brother, would you come up here, please? Would you get up for Joe B. as he comes? We love you. How often do you pray for this young man right here? Every, every morning and then every, like, evening. Amen. So you pray for him twice a day then? Yeah. That's awesome. When you pray for him, what are your prayers like? Like, what do you bring up to the Lord? Well, uh, first of all, I pray that, you know, he won't give mama a hard time today <laughs> in the morning. And then uh, I also pray that, you know, God would just keep him his whole life, that he'd grow to be a man of God, he'd be faithful. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You could sum that up in one word, future. You pray a lot for his future. I want you to look at this right here. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Can you just show us how you pray and, and make it real? You, you know, make it real. And would you just introduce us into your private time of how you pray for him? Because I think it would encourage many here. Yeah. So usually I'll be on the couch and he'll be knocking out. And then I'll just either put my hands on him or I'll hug him like this. And I'll, I'll, I'll say, Father, I pray for my boy. I pray that you would bless him. 
that he would serve you for the rest of his days, that he would never know a day without you, that he would love you and he would always listen to you, God. I pray that, God, he would trust you with everything that he does. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, isn't that an amazing prayer? Let's give it up for our brother. Thank you. Think about that. That's what Isaac did. Now imagine if I just said to you, that's the lesson, go home and do likewise. How many of you would be faithful to do that? You know, I have a job to explain this further to you than just one verse. But I mean, if I just said to you, go home and do that, how many would do that faithfully? How many would? Come on, what if I just said, we're dismissed, let's go home, goodbye. How many would do it faithfully? How many would do it even on the days you don't feel like doing it? How many would do it even on days you get in fights with them, your kids or your spouse? How many would still bless your children? Amen? You know that Christianity is not about living for an experience. We get experiences in Christianity, but Christianity is a devotion to a person named Jesus Christ. Christianity is a discipline. Notice the word discipleship has the word discipline in it. Christianity is a disciplined life following after the master. The reason why this is put in the book of faith, the hall of faith, is because consistency is one of the most difficult things you'll ever face in your Christian life. If you went right now to the Hall of Fame for the baseball players, for the football players, you're going to look at a lot of people that had great highlights of their careers. But you know what you're also going to find there? is people who consistently scored in every single game and over time had the highest scoring record. You know what I'm talking about, even sports fans here? You're going to find somebody in soccer scored the most goals in a career. Basketball shot the most free throws, most three-pointers, scored the most points in a game, scored the most points over a career, scored the most points in a playoff. Same thing in football. Ran for the most yards. And you know where that starts? That starts with the first one. You see, every time I ride my bike, I have an app that uh, records the miles that I ride. Does anybody want to guess how many miles that I have rode my bike? Just shout out a number, and I'll tell you higher or lower. 2,000, somebody said 2,000, higher. Higher. Very close. Thank you. Thank you for believing in me. I've rode my bike 13,700 miles. The distance from the East Coast to the West Coast is less than 3,000 miles. Joby, get me the exact one, or, or Karina, uh, look it up for me, please. I have traveled across the distance of the United States on my bike, I think, upwards of six times. What's the distance, Karina? Yeah. But you know what it starts with? The first pedal. The first rotation of the tires. It is calculated how many calories I've burned in those 13,000 miles. 1,151,000 calories. And I still don't have a six-pack, <laughs> which is my goal, because I eat more than I burn. What is it, Joby? Somebody Google it for him that knows how to Google. Go ahead, uh, Nancy. The distance of the United States from East Coast to West Coast. It comes right up. It comes right up. I've looked it up 100 different times. You got it now? You can redeem yourself as a Google searcher. What does it say? How many miles? There you go. 2,800 miles. Divide that. You know, 13,000 by that number right there. That's how many times I've gone back and forth across the United States. Thank you. 
But it takes that first pedal, doesn't it? It takes that first turn of, of, of my tires. Every time I get on my bike and I say, I'm going to journey from here to there, I now have to count that cost. Oftentimes, I take people with me on journeys, and uh, wherever Rudy's at, let's, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's tell a little story about Rudy. I love these guys. And he has such a positive attitude because they always want to go bike riding with me, but I have to tell them, I don't bike ride like your normal bike ride, okay? It's not like let's just go around the neighborhood. I have a certain kind of bike that's built for speed. And so I was uh, talking to Rudy. He was very humble. I just want to be very honest with you. He wasn't cocky in any way, though I think he might have tried me a little bit. We'll talk about that maybe too. But I, I said to Rudy, okay, man, I want, I want to take your bike ride. He lives by me now. He, he can see the trail by his house. He wants to do this. And so I said to him, listen, man, I don't want you to feel any pressure. I don't want you to feel like you have to keep up with me. I want you just to be very honest with me about how you feel in this, you know. And he's like, well, man, you know, I'm good at riding my bike. I jog. I do all these things. I'm like, listen to me. This is not jogging, and this is not just casually riding your bike. So I give him one of my bikes. We're, we're heading out. We're riding in the, the neighborhood, going to the trail. And this is where he says he didn't mean to do it, but it's, you know, we all got our own impression here. But I felt like he was a little anxious to prove himself to me, you know? So like he started speeding up next to me. He says he was just catching up. I'll let him tell his side when he has the mic, but I have it now. He said, oh, he was just catching up. But I noticed like he was coming a little fast. And I said, listen, in just a few moments, you're, you're going to show me how fast you can really go. So we get out to the bike trail. And I say to him, I'm going to go my normal pace, and then you do your best to keep up, and you tell me where you're at in this right here. Within about 30 seconds, I can't see him anymore as I'm looking behind me. I feel so bad for him as he pedals up to me. And then I now say to him, you set the pace. Tell me what you want to go. And he's like, well, let's try this. Let's try it. And we did enjoy our bike ride. But listen to me. You could not expect to come out with me without any experience and keep up with me. But how did I get to that point to be able to ride at that level? And I know if I went jogging, I couldn't keep up with him, you know. But how did I get to that point? Practice. Every day. Going to that bike when nobody else wants to do it. When it, feels, when it feels cold outside, when it feels hot outside. I've been out there when we've had some of our hottest days, 100-degree weather. I've been out there in some of our coldest days. My wife has tried to talk me out of not going out there. When there's snow on the ground and there's different things, I'll go out there in my mountain bike. I'll wear levels of clothing. My wife has had to actually had to pick me up at different times for the things breaking on my bike in various places where I found myself. But I'll tell you something. There's one thing that I've realized when I'm riding that bike and about the first half hour goes away and I'm out there normally for an hour to two hours is that there is only one way now I'm getting home. Unless my wife comes and gets me, obviously. But there's really only one way I'm getting home. That's if I pedal myself back home. And I can't tell you how many times I've been out there, 13,000 miles, you know if I've had time to think about this. I can't tell you how many times I've been about halfway out there and now something is very uncomfortable for me. Maybe something I didn't predict before. It was hot, but I had no idea it would be this hot. Maybe I'm thirsty and I've ran out of water and my mouth is now just so dry. Has anybody ever been like that in your exercises? I mean, just track with me here. And there's something that comes into my mind. Just stop, pull over, sit down, and get ready for the next phase. Recoup yourself. But you know what? There's something always, nothing wrong with that, but there's something always on the inside of me that says, you're weak if you do that. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. 
I'm being, I'm going to be 100%. I have never stopped on any of my journeys unless a piece of my equipment is broken. I have come home this close to heat exhaustion. I'm just telling you, but everybody listen to me here. But I have said to myself, I will not stop. I will keep going. And then I come home, and then it says, this is the amount of miles you did. And you know what? It doesn't seem like a lot. Maybe 15, maybe 30, 25, something like that. And I just log it in there. But you know what happens as days go by? That number continues to grow. And that number continues to grow. The guy that I do my biking with, the bike shop, he says, I don't know anyone else that has ridden that much that doesn't have an electrical bike or go out multiple times during the day. You're one of the guys that I have seen ride the most. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is that something Joe boasts in in his own strength? No. That's something I believe God told me to do, and he's given me strength. Now, of course, there's Olympians, and I'm nothing compared to those people. But in my own strength, that was never anything I wanted to do. But God told me if I wanted to lose weight, I was 60 pounds overweight. I weighed almost 300 pounds. That, and I wasn't, you know, over, overweight as a child or as a young adult. But in my middle age years, that's what happened. God told me, if you want a legacy for your children, if you want to be around for them, if you want good health, then you follow me and I'm going to give you stuff to do. And I hate cardio uh, exercise. I hate all those things. And he gave me that as well as swimming. And I don't track my swimming, but I know I've probably swam almost as much to cross the ocean. Now, brothers and sisters, the reason why I tell you that is because some of you play with, make, uh, with Christianity like it's make-believe. You act as if being a Christian will not require discipline from you. And you want to put numbers on the board with Jesus, and yet you don't even pray 15 minutes a day. That is whack, my friends. It is a backslidden, lukewarm Christianity that would expect that you would be a Christian, that you would expect results as being a Christian and put no effort into what you do. Or to put in such little amount of effort that it would be a joke on your job. You wouldn't even get paid on your job if you were to get paid as much time as you prayed this week. Wouldn't even be a check with your name on it. And yet we come to Christianity as Jimmy, I'll take all you can give me. And we don't understand that the greatest thing that Jesus can give you is faith. And that faith is to put inside of us a consistency. And that's why today Christians and their divorce rate, almost the exact same as the world. Christians with pornography, almost identical to the world. Christians living in adulterous, fornicating relationships, almost identical to the world. Christians caught in scandals and in things of their character being off, almost identical. To the point where if I now say... To you, I'm a Christian in a professional environment that means nothing. A politician says they're a Christian means nothing. Someone says into uh, Judge Judy's divorce court or wherever these shows are filmed, I'm a Christian means nothing. You say it to your neighbor, I'm a Christian, it absolutely means nothing. Why? Because we are people, uh, creatures of repetition, and we have learned rep repetitively, re repetitively, repeatedly rather, over and over and over again, someone will say to us, I'm a Christian, and act like a non-Christian. They'll say, I'm a Christian, act like a non-Christian, to the point where it doesn't matter what they say anymore. So when I say to you, brothers and sisters, I ride my bike, 
I got numbers to put up. You all listening to me? How many want to go on a bike ride with me now and just see how it feels? <laughs> I'm actually fun. I take my kids out. I didn't mean to insult Rudy, but I go, we're about the same speed as my kids right now. He wants to get a bike and pass me up. Now, you know I'm going to eat all these words if he keeps practicing, right? He's going to film me one day as he dusts me, puts me in the back. Look at Pastor now. You better do it, too. I would love it. I would love to get beat up like that on the track. But listen, listen. If I go and I go to these bike shops and I say I'm a bike rider and they go, well, how many miles you put in? What speed do you normally ride at? What trails are you on? And I go, oh, well, what, what I mean is I just, I just ride around the neighborhood. That's not a bike rider to them. Does everybody understand that? That's just somebody who gets on a bike and pedals it every now and then. Like my kids in the neighborhood in the backyard or back there in the sidewalk. What most people see and think of when they think of Christians is like that. Oh, I'm a Christian. Okay, so that just means you go to church every now and then. Uh, you just pick up your Bible every now and then like it's a fortune cookie. Whenever you need something in life, you just kind of pick it up. Today you will find success. Oh, thank you, Bible. You know, that's how most people think of Christians. They don't think of Christians as the one with the marriage that's going to stick together. Because every Christian they know is going through a divorce or has been divorced or got two baby mamas or baby daddies, just like everybody else. When we look at this scripture, brothers and sisters, this is inspiring. I would dare to say it's just as, if not more inspiring than the miracles of Noah building an ark and getting two by two of all the animals to get on it. That there was a man who lived during a time when there was no great signs and wonders. There was no outward motivation to want to follow in his father's footsteps. But he did it until the day he died and he handed the tradition off to his child. Oh, that's amazing in this culture. You show me a man that's steady with his wife, that blesses his children, to death do they part, lives with integrity, lives with his word. He does that from cradle to grave. That's my hero. Matter of fact, if I paid you $50 for the first people you can name right now that have done that, most wouldn't even walk out of here with 50 bucks. And if I said I'll give you $50 for the top five, most of you would not even reach five. Tell me people in your life that have been married to one woman, one man, stayed in their family, have one set of children with those, that family, have been dedicated to it, to God, to church, to their character. Besides maybe a mess up here and there, they don't live in sin, they live holy. 50 bucks, name the first one. Some of you would be looking around this church, pointing out some. What if I said not in this church, point out here? Couldn't even name one. Well, maybe your, your family, all right? My parents. We live in such a culture right now where we're wondering why we're so upside down. We are faithless. We are faithless. It's the reason why technology and businesses make so much money off us is because we get bored with consistency. We want the next game. We want the next app. We want the next movie. We want the next thing until you're sitting watching the whatever fourth installment of the Ant-Man going, this is so stupid, I don't even know what they're talking about anymore. We're now in the quantum world, and there's globs of jello that are people. I mean, what are we even doing now? All of my Marvel fans know what I'm talking about. They have lost so many ideas. Now we're in the Spider-Man multiverse where we have four different, ten different Spider-Mans. The cartoon one, the piglet one, the this one. We don't even know how to tell a story anymore because we're so bored. 
We're so bored with male and female that we've got to t- chop them up like Mr. Potato. And now they're bored with human sexuality. Now they've got to pretend to be animals. Because we don't know faithfulness. Faithfulness to ourselves, faithful to love the skin that we're in, faithfulness to our culture and society, faithfulness to our neighbor, faithfulness to the, the, the morals that we have. I talk to my friends and they, they act as if morals are like fashion. That one day we wear bell bottoms and then the next day we wear tight pants, like Peter Pan, you know? But yeah, you know, and then one day we do this, and one day we do, one day we thought it was okay to do this, next day, and they think that morals change like fashion. That's why even in a church like this, it's hard to find people that stick around even for more than five years. And many of you, you look back at your church hopping history, you hop here, you hop here, this pastor says this, you don't like it, you hop over here, you don't like it. The reason why people are unfaithful to the church is because they're unfaithful to their diet, they're unfaithful to their family, they're unfaithful to their marriage, they're unfaithful to their job. We just live in a faithless generation. Hebrews chapter 11 is reminding us of what cultures were built on, what civilizations were built on. If you didn't hand down your tradition from one, culture, uh, one generation to another, you would lose your whole culture. Anybody seen the Disney movie Flaming Hots? Man, I love that movie. It just came out, Flaming Hot. The story is of the, of the Flaming Hot Cheeto. I didn't know they could make a movie out of such a thing. But it was an amazing movie. I can't recommend movies as a pastor because somebody won't like it and then blame me on it, uh, you know, for giving you a bad recommendation. But I will say this. It tells the story of a Latino man coming up under racism during the time when they were looked down upon, called racist names, Eva Longoria directed. I thought she did a great job. I personally liked it. I had a couple of tears in my eyes. It was powerful at points. I enjoyed it. I'm not going to give you any spoiler alerts. But the bottom line is he goes from being a janitor to designing now what my kids eat every single day of their life if they had a choice. Seriously. And, and, and you think about like, man, this is the American dream. He thought something, and then he did something, and he did it in the midst of adversity. But, you do, but, but they fast forward through it so much that we don't get it. He was a janitor for Frito-Lays for eight years. How many young adults right now would be a janitor for somebody for eight years? See, but we don't understand that. My father-in-law, who came from Greece, worked at Brock's factory for, what, almost 20 years? We don't even understand this anymore. Now you get a star next to your name if you come a week in a row. Everybody wants to hop from one thing to the next, not understanding dedication, not understanding commitment. This man came there every day for eight years. He, the, the story, and I, I just take it at its word. I don't know how much it's embellished. But he came early and stayed late to learn other people's jobs because he wanted to be seen as a valuable asset to Frito-Lays. Now you walk into Barrio. Notice I said Barrio. You go walk into Barrio, and you ask kids if they want to be dedicated like that to Frito-Lays. Man, you might get slapped in the mouth. <laughs> what you talking about? Do I want to work at Frito-Lays? Come early, stay. What? That's what young people would think. That's crazy. Oh, I don't want to do that. But, but the, see, that's what I'm saying. Our generation, we miss the entire point, that the whole story of his success, everything that he had did, the underlying attribute that is even, I think, glossed over in the movie is that he was faithful. He was faithful. It does say at the end that his wife stuck by his side the whole time. So they, they, they knew how to put that in. But I wish it would have been accented more. You can watch and tell me what you think. But I, I, I think that we always just want to see the hard part, go to the good part, and forget everything in between. 
You've got Abraham receiving a promise from God himself that there is going to be a promised land. He believes it so much, he literally thinks heaven's coming to earth. And yet he now is told to sacrifice his son Isaac. And when God spares his son as a sign and a symbol for what Jesus will do with the ram, and Jesus being that eternal lamb of God, ram is just an adult lamb. As we see that happen, all Isaac now gets as an inheritance from Abraham for this supposed promise that God's going to do is just some sheep, some goats, and some land that isn't even enough to build a, a subdivision on, let alone a nation. But God says it all belongs to, but he doesn't have hardly any of it. God said that he's going to have a lot of children, but even Isaac doesn't have a lot of children. And yet we see Isaac was faithful. Read that again with me, please, one more time. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their what? Their future. That means Isaac wasn't selfish. He wasn't saying, well, if I don't see it, I don't care if you guys will see it. I'm not going to, uh, you know, teach you this because I get nothing out of it. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to the promise that Abraham, my father, had, and I'm going to pass it on to you whether I get anything out of it. Now, was he blessed? Absolutely. I wish I had time to go through the story of Isaac, but he was a tither. He was a giver. He was blessed. He did increase in crops and land. He had more than his father did, but it wasn't a nation. It wasn't multitudes. God had promised Abraham that there would be a multitude. This would not happen until many, many, many years later when David would be king and kill somebody like Goliath and a nation would be developed in that land. But this, this is so far before this that what motivated this man to want to do it? It had to only be faith and trust in God. And that's where I think to myself, like, what motivates us? What motivates us? Because sometimes we're so, uh, you know, uh, temporary-minded, so much minded in the moment that we don't see our future. I mean, I could be a financial planner here, but I won't, but I did have a dad that was one. A lot of us here spend more money on coffee than we do life insurance, and we think GoFundMe is the way to help our children after we die. Y'all don't even have life insurance, but you got Starbucks. And then you die, and then your family puts up a GoFundMe. What kind of ghetto nonsense is this? Are you all listening to me? I'm not even selling life insurance. I don't get anything out of it. I'm just saying you got people who don't even think about their future to the point of putting 15, 20, whatever it is, 50 bucks into life insurance so that, God forbid, something happens, they get paid to have the funeral and have some money in the bank. But see, we don't think like that in this culture. Most Americans don't even have three dollars to $4,000 in the bank. But you look at how much you spent on McDonald's this past year. There's your savings. I've been there, brothers and sisters, and we get in debt with our credit card because we don't think about the future. We don't think about an inheritance. Most Americans live paycheck to paycheck, yet we're in the most prosperous nation in the world. And yet the rich keep getting richer, as they say. The poor keep getting poorer, and the Christians just keep praying, right? Man, I'm done with just praying. I'm going to pray and put in work. I don't just pray to put miles on my app. I get on that bike and pray and work at the same time. Brothers and sisters, you can't expect Christianity to be a magic genie in a bottle. This is faithfulness. This is, this is getting up in the morning and praying when you don't feel like praying. This is reading your Bible even when you've had a bad day. This is going to Bible study even though it's going to put you back in another hour of traffic. Why? Because you have a future that you believe in. 
My children don't go to Wednesday Children's Church because they don't know Bible stories. My children have heard, I mean, they have a dad as a pastor. Come on. They've heard every possible Bible story three, four times every day. I mean, just yesterday watching the movie, how many times did I pause it and give life lessons? I pause movies all the time and give life lessons. All the time. Pause in this movie. Pause this movie. Everybody stop and listen to this. Bethany, look at me. Bethany has to stop and look at me. What's up, Dad? Listen, we're going to talk right now. Seriously, did I not do that yesterday? Two and three times. Pause the movie. Do you know that? Let me just tell you how weird I am in my family. My kids have to clap in movies when I start clapping because they have to realize when something got done and accomplished. So when that man during the movie, when he said he believed in his dream and he did the thing, I start clapping, my kids start clapping. And if they don't start clapping, we pause the movie. Everybody clap. We clap for stuff in our, in our house. When we watch movies, when we see braver, we, we, we clap. I'm serious. I'm teaching them. This is what you honor. You don't honor Faye's rug, seeing how much Mountain Dew he can drink to get the loudest burp. That's not what we're honoring here. We're honoring a man that spent eight years on his job and then put together these chiles and baked this thing in his house. Like, that's what we're about. We're going to stop and clap for him. We're going to clap for hard work. We're going to clap for the man that gets up before the sun and then comes home when the sun's down. We're going to clap for that. We're going to clap for faithfulness. You see, the world is tricking us into thinking that they have a better way of doing this, and they don't. Their civilization is going to demise and fall apart right in front of them. The principles that we're talking about is what have built empires. It's how we built castles. It's how we built universities. Are you all tracking with me? It's how we've changed the world. That's why I say, and sometimes people say, well, well, my people are Aztec. My people are this. Listen, we got into this mess before. I'm going to help you get free, right? I'm going to tell you who your culture is, okay? Because that, I, one of our Super Bowl, uh, you know, the, the parties or whatever, uh, they, they had a halftime show where J-Lo and Shakira were shaking their, their half-naked fanny everywhere. And I was like, hey, man, they need to repent and get right with Jesus. And then a bunch of people were like, that's my culture. Don't talk about my culture. Listen to me. J-Lo and Shakira is about as much as your Latino culture as Miley Cyrus and Britney Spears are my white culture. To hell with everything that's not Jesus culture. You're not following today Shakira and J-Lo, and I'm not following Miley Cyrus and Britney Spears. We are following Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Mary, and Martha, and Deborah, and Phoebe, and James, and John. So now going back to this, when I talk about your people, I'm talking about these people right here. Your people built kingdoms. Your people took down giants. Your people went into lion's dens before they gave up their testimony. Your people built nations. And our people will rule this world and put it back in order in Jesus' name. So when I say this to you, we can learn each from our culture, the Italians, the Polish, the Latino, the African-American. Yeah, we, the Asian, we can learn from all these beautiful cultures. But if it is not those things that we're learning, if they're not rooted in Christ, we're wasting our time. And so, brothers and sisters, when we look at this uh, civilization that they were building, they were building it based on their word. They were building it based on commitment. In other words, you want to think of a worst-case scenario. What would have happened if Isaac said, I'm done doing all this stuff? Would there even have been an Israel? And if there wasn't an Israel, would Jesus have even come? You see, I wonder, should the Lord tarry, how many generations have yet to be born are counting on us to do the right thing? 
Because many of you are the first Christians of your generation to really catch a hold of the Word of God. And I'm just wondering if the Lord should tarry what people are going to be saying about us 100 years from now. I can't promise you I'm going to see 100,000 in my lifetime, but I can promise you this. I'm going to make disciples one after another, after another, after another. I don't know how many we'll get to before we reach heaven, but I know I'll get one. I know I'll get one in Jesus' name. Are you listening? And that's what you have to say to yourself. I, I don't know how much I can save, kids, but I'm going to save up as much as I can. I don't know how much I can get us towards our future, but I'm going to get us as far as we can. I'm going to do all that I can. I'm going to budget our money. I'm going to save up. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to stay late because I believe in our future. I started Legacy Bible College because I believe that young men and women need to be raised up in Bible college without debt. And I don't care if they're as rich as possibly can be. I don't want people spending money on things that the Bible says freely you have received, freely give. I give away my books, I give away our conferences, all of these things, and I want to give away Bible college. I want every school that is charging our students $100,000 to go be missionaries to end up sending their students to ours because we give it away for free and we can put that 100000 on the mission field. I'm big and I'm daring God. I mean, God is daring me to dream with him, and I'm saying, yes, Lord, I'll take your double dog dare. Give it all away. And in our world, in the Christian world, we receive through that, don't we? Because as we give, it's given back to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I believe as people see the vision for a Bible college to empower people without a financial burden, I believe businessmen and women, you could even be sitting here today, will say, I'll sow a million dollars into that so that that 100% of scholarship goes to those students. See, I'm believing God for a revolution. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I got paid to be a professor at other schools. Now I work for free so I can give it away for free. See, I'm putting out my sacrifice right now. I'm willing to give something for what I believe in. You see, Isaac was willing to give something, his time, his talents, his resources, and he prayed for his children and he blessed them. Look at verse 21. Now moving on to Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Hold on, didn't Jacob see miracles when Laban was messing with him and they were fighting over the crops and he put a, a, a spotted stick in the water and he got more of the animals because those spotted sticks made the animals spotted? How many remember that miracle with Jacob? Three of you read your Bible. That's okay. Listen, I'm telling you something that's true. How many could you say amen to the preacher not making up stuff? But notice it doesn't say about the miracle of the staff. How many know that Jacob saw a ladder to heaven? You ever heard of that, Jacob's ladder to heaven? Jacob's ladder, stairway to heaven, Led Zeppelin, that's a, different, that's a different thing, okay? Just track with me here. He saw a ladder to heaven. But does it say that was an amazing thing of his life that needs to be pointed out here? No, you, don't, you want to know why? Because not all of us are going to see a spotted stick miracle. Not all of us are going to see a ladder in heaven where it comes down to earth and angels are ascending and descending in front of you. He wrestled with God. Not all of us are going to wrestle with God. Probably nobody's going to wrestle with God here. He got to see the promises come about in his generation when Joseph had a dream about them bowing down to him while he was in Egypt. He saw dreams come true, but it doesn't mention that. What does it mention about Jacob? Almost identical to Isaac, that before he died, he blessed his children. And he worshiped, and he leaned on his staff. Just imagine the end of your life. What are you handing down as your legacy? Make sure you take care of my car. Clean those rims, kid. 
Hey, make sure you keep cutting the grass, guys. Cut the grass like how Daddy taught you to cut the grass. Hey, don't, don't forget my, uh, you know, uh, uh, recipe for arroz con candules, you know. Don't forget that salzón recipe. You know, that's what you're going to remember. Remember this. Of course not. People think about those things like that's so important. I don't care about my mom's lasagna. I don't care about my mom's uh, uh, dress, you know, the things she wore, her jewelry. She already said, she said, when I pass away, I'm going to give it all to your sister because I know you don't care about any of it. You know what I care about my mother is her faith and what she did for me as a person, her legacy, her character, her ways with God. You see, the most important thing we're going to leave with people is how we were men and women of God. Yes, we're supposed to leave those resources for them, but the most important thing is their legacy of faith. The legacy of faith. How are you going to hand down to your generation the legacy of faith? How are you going to impact the people around you? What will they remember you for? What most people will be remembered for is that they just had a nice house, a car, a couple of things to do in their world. You know, they took care of their dog, all these different things, but there's not a lot to do with their character. As a matter of fact, if you think about today, all that's in social media, all that's pr printed in magazine, how much of that has to do with character? When was the last time you saw on the cover of Vogue the most holy woman? This woman is a woman of integrity, cover of Vogue. When was the last time you saw somebody on Instagram showing you following through their life? How I live a life of integrity. You'll see people on Instagram, how I coupon. How I do this, how I whittle something out of a stick and make into a little figurine I put in my house. How many have seen some weird hobbies on Facebook and YouTube and all that? You're just like, man, I can't even believe that's a thing. I know, uh, God bless her sweetheart, Des is into one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, which is those little miniature things. They make these little miniature couches. They're like, they're like this big and they're like little matchbox miniature things. And I'm like, what a waste of time. And one I even saw was like a miniature thing doing a miniature thing. It was like a miniature pot being made on a miniature potting wheel, a pottery wheel. And I'm just serious. Like the pottery wheel is like this big. And then they have like a little toothpick and they're, they're making a pot, a miniature pot on the miniature pottery wheel. And I'm just like sitting here going like, what world are we living in? Like who has this much time on their hands? But hey, we all have free time. What we do with it is their business. This guy probably has 13,000 hours building a miniature world, right? I got 13,000 miles riding my bike. We're all doing something, right? But my point is we think this is what we're going to be remembered for? Joe, Joe he rode his bike 13,000 miles. You think that's what my son's going to care? Do you think someone cares about all the gold and the riches? You know, you know what's going to matter? is what my character was. See, when you're watching that person whittle that little thing or make that little pottery on that little miniature pottery wheel, you don't care how he looked at pornography or didn't last night. You don't care whether or not he gets along with his wife or whatever his, his personal life is like. That's why I always talk to doctors and lawyers, some of these guys that are hot shots, and, and when I get to meet them every now and then, I say the difference between you and I is I have the same education, I work just as hard as you, but people care how I live when I go home. Your doctor last night could have been dressing up as a, your male doctor could have been dressing up as a drag queen last night. Nobody cares. As long as he comes sober, he can do your operation. Are you listening? That's how the world is. They don't care about character. They don't care about character anymore. All they want to see is your little success, your little thing. But notice everything around us is based on character. The most important relationships you have are those based on character. 
I can't tell you how many rom-coms, how many shows, how many Netflix series, how many things are all based upon heartbreak and deception. You want to know the reason? It's because nobody has a genuine relationship right now. You can't even hardly count on your hand how many people in Hollywood or in the media world have a real relationship. How many times has J-Lo and Ben Affleck been together now? How many people do you see in this world? They got divorced. Now they're together. Now they're back together. Let's watch this show. These people are together. Then they get heartbroken. Then, he, then she falls in love with his best friend, and then she becomes a lesbian, and then she does this, and now she's back with this one. But she happens to have the child out the marriage. Now the child is, you know, and you just go on and on. It's like brokenness is our norm. I remember when Desperate Housewives first came out, everybody was like, that's crazy. That's normal now. And yet we're looking at this story. Notice this. Jacob prays for his son and his son's children, second and third generation. Brothers and sisters, should the Lord tarry, what would their grandchildren say of you in your testimony? I know I think it's funny when people say it like this, but like how grandparents showed us, you know, their pictures. They had like four or five, you know, in that in that photo album, where, you know, the grandparents of this generation are going to be showing them 10,000 photos of what they ate for dinner in 1992, you know, whatever. And then instead of just having maybe the guy who had one tattoo, he was in the Navy, mom's going to have all these tattoos all over, dad's going to, and we're going to tell all the stories from the tattoos. I get it, you know, there's nothing wrong with these things, but this is how, like, we're going to be as grandparents. Well, what are we going to say beyond that? Yeah, here was my Instagram feed when I was your age. Here are the tattoos that I got when I was in Vegas. Uh, here, here are the, the you know, pictures of the various cars that I owned. My friends, this is all shallow. And yet the thing about this, the thing that matters the most, we spend the least amount of time in. When was the last time you spent time with your family doing devotions? But you'll watch a two-hour movie. When was the last time you did a two-hour Bible study? When was the last time you took your kids out and did something charitable for the community? But you'll take them to Six Flags. You'll take them over here to Santa's Village. I'm right there with you, but I'm never going to let that take the place of me taking them to the west side. One of the greatest testimonies of our family is that we do ministry together. We go to the west side together. We go to the abortion clinics together because that's part of what they need to learn. But you see, you ask people in this culture, how often have you gone out with your kids to do ministry? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if they're ready yet. But they're ready to see a half-naked person here in the Marvel show. They're, they're ready to see all this garbage that we see. But they're not ready to go feed a, a, meth, a, a fentanyl addict on the west side. You see, that's real life. One of the first things I told my children when we went down to the west side and there on fentanyl lane is I said, this is the penalty of sin. I just drive by and just point at them and say, you see that? That's what sin will do to you. That's what sin will do to you. And I do the same thing when I drive by other places, too. Half-naked girls driving by. Don't dress like that one, Bethany. Don't do like this. I'm so serious. You see that LB, LGBT billboard? We're not down with that. I teach my kids in the real world why we don't do what we do. What they do after their age is up to them. I mean, after they come of age, that's up to them. But in our house, we're going to serve the Lord. They're going to see faithfulness. But it's not just me pointing my finger at what people do wrong over here. It's also showing them at home how I treat their mom, how I pray and read my Bible. It is a common expression in our house, I'm going to pray. When was the last time your children, your family, your roommate heard the expression, I'm going to pray? It's a common expression in our home. Mom's praying. Leave her alone. 
Do you know how Susanna Wesley prayed? Susanna Wesley had over a dozen children. They lived in the colonial times. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley who founded the Methodist movement. She said, when you see mom put the apron over her head, leave her alone. She's praying. She made time to pray. What's our excuse? When was the last time your children heard you say, men, I'm going to pray? Women, leave mom alone. Mom is praying. And then we give our children these pads and this entertainment, and we give them this as their bobo. They still have bobos, it's just now it's the smartphone. And then we wonder why they're so dumb. It's because they don't have to apply anything in their life. And I don't mean that to be rude by calling them dumb. I'm just saying like they don't have the knowledge of the world the way God wants them to have. Is because they're being spoon-fed this bobo garbage all the time. So what we do in our home is you have to do Bible apps. You have to have the things that, that you're going to watch are given permission by us, and it's regulated, and every other time you're out doing godly things, you're out doing physical things, and you're not going to become addicted to that pad. And we're not bringing it to restaurants. We're not letting you sit within church. No offense to parents who still do that, but you're going to learn respect. You're going to learn honor. How many know for 2,000 years they were meeting in churches without smartphones? How many know for 2,000 years they were, as she holds one. What is she holding right now? Oh, a toy. Thank God, because I was about ready to break that in front of everybody. Because <laughs> I said, hey, no smartphone being given to anybody here. But we act like they can't sit in church. My friends, what do you think they did 1,000 years ago when they went to church? How do you think they went to school? Is it any wonder that most of the people you and I look up to that were inventors, that were musicians, spoke multiple languages, knew how to write on scholarly levels, read college books, all before they became an adult? Most of them were homeschooled. Those who went to uh, to private or public schools, they did so in such a way where they increased in knowledge beyond even today's college students, and it was elementary and junior high. As I just mentioned to you, John Wesley, John Wesley already knew the biblical languages of Hebrew, Greek, and Latin before he went to college. As a high school preteen, he was taught those things by his parents. And we wonder why the world is surpassing us. America, we've gotten lazy, and the church now needs to lead the way again. We've led the Renaissance. We've led the great awakening to our culture and made the Bible Belt. We've ended slavery. We've broken away from regimes like, uh, like uh, the, great, in the American Revolution against England. It's time we have a cultural revolution again. And where does it start? Handing it down to our children. The last verse today. Thank you for your patience. By faith, Joseph. When his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. That's one of the most touching stories I've ever read in the Bible is the story of Joseph, and I don't have time to get into it. But think about this. Joseph saw dreams come true. Joseph interpreted dreams. Joseph's whole life was a miracle. He was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, made a slave to Potiphar. Then because he didn't betray Potiphar's trust and have an adulterous affair, he's thrown into prison. So from the pit to Potiphar to prison, he's faithful, and then he's put second in charge to Pharaoh. But it doesn't say any of that. You know what it says? As he's leaning on his staff, he looks at his kids and he goes, don't let my bones stay here because I am not an Egyptian. I am an Israelite. And when God keeps his word and brings you out of here, you take my bones with you and you bury them in the home of my forefathers. You want to talk about a man of integrity who lived his life to the point where they couldn't even make up a lie of an adulterous affair on him. 
Most men look for affairs and would take one easily if it came to them. This one came to him through a person of power. He could have had power and prestige. When that woman came on to him as the slave owner's wife, he could have took her power, authority. He could have had his gratification of his sexual needs, and he didn't have any of that. He gave up the power exchange. He gave up the ability to be pleasured. And what did he get in return for his righteousness? Thrown into prison. And yet many of us here will not live for Jesus on a good day. He lived for Jesus on a bad day. That's why, brothers and sisters, as your pastor, some days I have to speak to you like this because I am your spiritual coach in Jesus' name. By all grace and humility, I want to prepare you for a real world out there. A real world that if you want to put miles on the board, it's going to get hot sometimes. It's going to be cold sometimes. Sometimes you're going to fall off your bike. One time I fell off my bike and skidded down an entire hill, ripped up everything on the inside of me, but you know, on on the outside and got tore up. But you know, I had to get back on that bike because no one was taking me home that day. Brothers and sisters, why do we think less of Christianity? Some of us want people just to hold our hands. No, man, you got to pray for yourself. You know how many men I've seen come to this church and be weak? And yet these are bodybuilders. These are strong men. And yet they want to call me every five minutes of the day. Pastor, do this. Pastor, do this. Man, you need to learn how to pray for yourself, sir. I am not your bobo. I am not your fix-it. Jesus is your fix-it. I'm serious. I'm being honest with you. Well, pastor didn't do this. Pastor didn't do that. Man, does pastor need to wipe your butt too? Why do we put this on people? As I've said before, in the heroes of faith, every one of them have been zeros at different times. I'm not going to be your David because David will fail you, but I'll be like Paul and follow Christ. You can follow me there. You can follow. Well, Joe, what do you do? I get up and pray every day. Why isn't it not working for you? That's what I do. I get up and pray. I read my Bible. I know more about the Bible than most Christians and professors, and I study it every day. As a matter of fact, to God is my witness. When pastors, and this brother's been around me, pastors and professors get around me, they listen when I talk. But yet I cannot go a day without this word. This word is my bread. I sit down like that child in that man's arms with the word of God. I listen to the Bible every year from beginning to end. And I will pause it. I will research it. I will go into depth to the the point where I will become obsessed over it. Because I don't know it like I should. The Bible is like an ocean and what I have is like a thimble. And yet, I will talk to simple-minded people in my church and say that the Bible study is boring. No, sir, you're backslidden. That's why it's boring. The Bible study's not boring. You're backslidden. Do you know that every story of the Bible, I could captivate your time and attention right now by getting you to see things you have never seen before. And those things are buried deep within the Scripture. These are the things that matter. And yet, we have men telling us what other men do with tights. I don't care what a man with tights does on a grass field with a wooden bat and a ball. I care what James and Peter and John and Paul taught. I want to know what they knew. I don't just want to know how to hit a ball with a bat. I just don't want to take a rubber ball through a basket. Do you know that most of all of our modern sports 100 years ago were irrelevant? My great cousin played professional baseball, had to pay his own way, live in hotels. There was no money in it. They used to play in backyards. 
And now they got uh, smart to it, you know, consumerism. Well, they like this sport, so we're going to promote this sport. Why do you think you care about baseball and you don't care about cricket? It's because how it's marketed to you. Why do you think you care about rap and not Bollywood? It's because what country you're in and what marketing scheme they're feeding to us. Bas- uh, baseball's American. I don't care about any of it in that way. I'm a Christian. Christ before everything. Christ before our sports. Christ before our business. We once were smart enough to put it on our dollar to remind us, in God we trust, but now we trust in the dollar. You can hand a million dollars down to your children, but if you don't hand down wisdom, they will squander it. Bible teaches us that these were men of integrity. Integrity meant something. People of character, people of worth. Now we see, uh, you know, high-value men, high-value women. It's a trend on YouTube, Andrew Tate and these various people. These people are some of the most immoral, vile, vulgar people I've ever seen. And yet young men are following them. Young men want to be like Trump. Young men want to be like Andrew Tate. Young men want to be like this one. When was the last time you saw young men wanting to be like Jesus? Why are these not our heroes in the Bible? Why have we been so deceived? How many more do we need to fail us before we see this is our legacy? So in closing, I want you to hear this today. Everyone hear me today, please. You may not see many miracles. I've seen maybe a handful, like real healings, you know, real verifiable miracles. So I could be a saint in the Catholic Church. I've prayed for people and seen real miracles, okay, by God's grace, right? So you've got to have at least one. I've got a couple. By God's grace, I've seen it. I've seen demons cast out. I'd love to cast out some right now, the spirit of boredom. Can I cast out uh, some of you, the spirit of boredom? But, uh, you know, we've seen these things. But I'll tell you what, it's not every day. But you know what I do have every day? Father, bless my wife, bless my children, make me a man of integrity. Everyone's going to pray it differently. I love the way you pray. One of the simple prayers that I always pray over my children is may they know And what's the rest of it, Hannah? May they know and love you, Jesus, all the days of their life. There has not been a day in our bed that I have not prayed for my wife. And we're making 18 years this June by God's grace. Not one day. Not one day. Why? Because it's it's integrity. When I said, to death do us part, in front of man woman, child, you know, in front of God and men that day, I meant that. I'm not parting from my wife. I understand what it takes for me to be committed to my wife. I have to say it every day. I bless her, I love her, and that I pray I only have eyes for her. And now you ask me why I haven't looked at pornography since 96, because I pray prayers like that. And that's why it's not a joke to me. That's why it's real to me. And as a pastor, it makes me passionate because it's almost like as if I was a, uh, a health coach, and some of you do that, I know, and uh, you know, I could feel your pain in this because you could have people come and take your courses or be in your training or have your app, and then you see them come back to you the same way over and over and over again, and then they're going to give you all these excuses. Can I tell you one of the favorite shows that I used to love to watch as a pastor? Biggest Loser. Literally, I wish I could do Biggest Loser as a pastor, and that would really set me free. Because I wish I could just track you and just put it right back in your face and be like, this is why your marriage messed up is because you're a joke at home. I got the little calorie counter right here. I got you on tape acting like this, sir, ma'am. I got you talking to your kids like this. I got you saying you prayed, but you didn't. 
That's why I love Biggest Loser. They put him in the house, cameras all around him. They have the tracker built in, you know, that, that, that wristband type thing that counts all their calories. Man, there's no, there's no way out of it now. Well, I don't know, coach. I don't know. I did X, Y, and Z, and it didn't work. And I would always love when they would flip back, middle of the night, you know what I'm saying, camera all sketchy. But it shows them walking to the refrigerator. Can I get an amen from somebody? Walking to the refrigerator, their eyes glowing like a cat eyes. You know what I'm saying? It's like that kind of night vision stuff. <laughs> now, we got you. We got you. Joe, this should be a happy day for you. Yes, it's happy for Sydney, but it's a sad day for many of you for not graduating. Some of you have been in the church longer than Sydney. Sydney is now your deacon. That's an amazing day for her, but it's a sad day for many of you because you don't want to track your spiritual growth. You don't want to journal it. You don't want to take it serious, and yet you want to say to God, bless me because my name is Jimmy, and I'll take all you can give me. I'll just tell you as a pastor, it don't work like that. It don't work like that. That's superstition. That's superstition. I'm going to have a lucky rabbit's foot. I'm going to pray the Hail Mary. I'm going to uh, bring this saint with me. Christians, you act just the same way. Well, I got my Bible verse. I put that meme up on Instagram. Uh, you know, what's, what's like, I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me the strength? Booty shot. Girl, what does your butt hanging out have to do with you can do all things in Christ? You know what I'm saying? Greater is he that's in me that's he that's in the world. What, what are we doing here? This is a joke. It's a joke. I just want everybody to think about this. I'm not here to put you down. I love you. I'm just being honest with you today. I've been here. I was talking to a young man in ministry the other day. He said, how long have you been doing this? I had to stop and count. I planted, by God's grace, my first church at 22. That means 46 years old now, 24 years. That's longer than some of you have been alive. I'm telling you, you could take your, your photos. I, I get it, but listen to me. If you're not putting in work, that is a joke. It would be no different, and y'all know this because a lot of social media is fake. You know this. It would be like me going home today, getting next to my bike, putting in work, and then just going back home and, uh, into my garage, you know? You know what work feels like on a bike? I'm just using this as an example. Please, I'm not anybody. I'm just telling you. I'm just using this as an example. You want me to tell you what I've learned in 13,000 miles? It's almost like a TED Talk here, man. I'm serious. It's a very unique thing, 13,000 miles on something. You know what it feels like when you're there by yourself, six, seven in the morning, and you're burned out from the night before, whatever you did is catching up to you, and you wish you wouldn't have eaten all that you eat, and you're just sitting on that hard seat, and you're pedaling. You know what happens at that point? Is you begin to look within yourself to say, why do I do this? You know what it's like to pray? Let's, let's do the math, Joby. Take the math. Uh, get the calculator out. Take the calculator out. 26 years in the, uh, 24 years in the ministry. Do 365 times two. 365 times two is how much? Okay, I need someone who can use a calculator faster, Joe, but he'd be slipping right now. Who's the one that said it? You got it back there for Javier? 7.30. So on average, I spend about two hours a day with the Lord. That's 730 hours a year. Times that by 24 years in ministry. 17,000 hours I've spent with Jesus. 
17,000 hours. That's all I have is my character. That's all I have to give you. That's all we can give our children. If I don't give them the example of a man of God, then what have I shown them in this world? Brothers and sisters, that may seem intimidating to some of you right now. You might be like, man, I, I just kind of started this. So I don't know how many hours I've spent with Jesus. I wasn't counting. Okay, that's fine. But listen, are you putting in work right now with the Lord? Because lives come and go. I look at these men now that I'm older. I used to be younger, obviously. But I look at these men now that I'm older, and I'm like, man, I'm halfway there. I'm halfway to blessing a grandchild. I'm halfway to leaning on my staff, telling somebody to do something with my bones. 46 years old is not young, y'all. Come on. And I'm thinking, like, what if I just multiplied what I did in the past? So the last 20 years, multiply it by the next 20 years. So the, uh, the past 20 years, rather, multiply it by the next future years. Could I live with that? Or do I have regrets back there? Things that I wish I would have did differently. And that's how I keep lining up my life every day. Keep lining it up. And you can always tell those who are talk, but they're not doers. Because they're the ones that cause all the messes, but have no solution. Messy people cause messes. And then I ask them, what's the solution? What's the, what, are, what are you doing to change this? And they never have the right solution. Sometimes they'll say the noble thing. Well, I'm going to spend, you know, let's say it's a marriage thing. The man says, well, I'm going to spend more time with my wife. Yeah, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean you become bosom buddies? You just hang out? And, no, no, no. You have to go deeper than that, brothers and sisters. How you build a marriage is how you build your walk with God. How you build your walk with God is how you build your marriage. A lot of people are married to strangers. They don't even know each other. Some hide secrets. Some can't share their heart because they haven't gotten deep enough. They just married based on attraction and convenience, and now they're going through real-life issues, and they don't know how to be vulnerable. Some men here have never even cried in front of their wives, I'm sure. Some wives have never really been honest with their husbands and the disappointment they felt. But we have to be real. See, I'm real with God. So when I say I'm spending time with God, when I'm saying there's hours with me and the Lord, I'm past the superficial stuff. I'm past trying to impress him so I can come back here and look like I know what I'm doing. Most of my time in prayer with Jesus is just me saying those things in my heart that I got to get off my chest. And then it's just me listening to the Lord with Scripture and hearing what he has for me. And do you know that so often the Lord tells me, I don't know about you, I, I, I think I'm not alone here, but you know so often what the Lord just tells me? is just keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. So I look at some of the ups and downs raising children, and I come to the Lord, okay, Lord, what's the magic bullet? What do I do here? Do I send them to the Amish and have them live there for a summer? I'm, I'm taking away all electricity, taking away all deodorant. There ain't no more press-on nails. There's no more eyelashes. There's no makeup. Y'all going to sew your own clothes, make your own butter, and you're living out there. And I just hear the Lord say, no, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to just keep doing this. You're going to keep praying for them every day. I pray for my children every day. You're going to keep giving them the word. You're going to keep bringing them around to other families. I'm so happy for the youth group here and all the people that pour into our children and young people. Just keep doing it. 
And then I just go, yes, Lord, and I just keep going. And it does, like I said, and it doesn't seem like much is happening. But as you go back and track it, now instead of it being 50 miles, it's 1,000 miles. And then you just keep doing it. You wake up every morning. Every morning I tell my wife I love her. Every morning I kiss my children. Every morning I tell them I love them. And every morning I commit my integrity to them. And then you look at it, and it's a day, then it's a week, then it's a month. If what we look at in our past, we don't want in our future, we need to change right now. You need to repent, get it out. How much more do you want pornography? How much more do you want fights in the family? How much more debt do you want? How much more out of shape? Whatever thing you're talking about right now, between you and God, you got to be honest. Do I want the past in my future? And I don't if it's not right with God. I want a legacy, brothers and sisters. I want you to have a legacy. I want each one in here today to take this seriously, that when the hall of faith was mentioned, when the hall of faith was brought up and they could have talked about anything in these men's lives, these three people were, were given the highest honor. By the way, David's story is not even mentioned in the hall of faith. Gideon is not even mentioned as a story in the hall of faith. Their names are ran through at the end. But here these men's names are mentioned because they passed on their faith to their children. Father, I ask today, would you pray with me now? Father, I ask today that man, woman, child, everyone here would start looking at their future and their legacy. Father, as we pray, would you show us first our past? And if there's anything we need to repent of that we have not already, would you put it in our hearts? And may we repent of it right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Right now, if there's anyone that needs to repent of the past, repent of it. That's the beauty of Christianity. There's forgiveness. Who needs it right now? Just where you're at. No altar workers, no coming to the front. Just in that moment of prayer, I'm searching my heart. What of the past needs to be forgiven? The bad relationships, the attitudes, the mismanagement of time and resources, the sins. Come on, whatever it is, talk to the Lord. Lord, I repent. I am sorry. Please forgive me. No excuses. I'm not looking at my culture. I'm not comparing myself to my neighbor who's worse off than me. It's right now, me and Jesus, you and Jesus, friend. What is the Lord saying about your past? And then now look to your future. What do you want it to be? Ask the Lord. God, give me a future. Show me what it's supposed to be. Give me dreams, desires. Give me something that's bigger than myself, a legacy, a dream few moments right now looking towards your future, looking towards your children, looking towards your family. If you're single, looking towards what you could have one day in a marriage or a family. Now begin to pray it out with me. Pray out your future. Pray out your hopes and your dreams. The Bible says those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Whenever we talk like this, whenever we pray like this, we'll not be disappointed. We might face temporary setbacks. We might not feel like we can always accomplish it. People may turn against us, but we will not regret making these decisions today. In the name of Jesus, I pray for faithfulness for the future to rise up right now. Faithfulness for the future right now. There are people waiting on us in the future to do what we have to do right now. There are people waiting on us in the future for us to do what we're doing right now. God has called us to be like Isaacs, Jacobs, and Josephs who maybe didn't see a lot in their life but believed that it was worth still being a person of integrity to hand it off to the next one. Hallelujah. 
Father, make me faithful in the house of God. Make me faithful in my house with my family. And make me faithful to my calling in this culture. A few moments right now. Set it aside if it doesn't belong. Set aside the excuses. Set aside the, the complaints. And right now, take it head on in Jesus' name. And before we go, use an illustration in your mind. Use your imagination. I'm going to place myself on the bike, but you place yourself somewhere in this world. And you imagine right now what it's going to be like when you face your toughest day. What are you going to do, brother or sister? I'm placing myself at the bottom of the biggest hill that I ride up every day. After 30 miles, sweat dripping down my face, my mouth is parched and I want to quit. I'm putting myself in my mind right there and I am now saying to the Lord, I will not quit. Put yourself in the most extreme situation. You see, the Bible says Jesus knew the cross was before him and he was willing to face it. Do not live in make-believe world. Face it right now, your biggest fear. What if I have to raise my kids for the rest of my life as a single mom? Face it right now. What if I never get that promotion and I'm stuck as a janitor like that show, but I don't get the break. I have to be a janitor for 20 years here. Face it right now. What are you doing? What are you doing? Face. What if I'm single the rest of my life? I never find my love. What do you do then? Right now before we go, talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I will overcome this in the name of Jesus. Now what do you have to fear? Now, what do you have to fear? That's the worst case scenario, but I believe God's going to bring you through. See, most preachers just want you to think about the pot of gold at the end like we're leprechauns. I want you to see the cross in front of you. I want you to see suffering in front of you. I want you to see your worst day. I want you to see burying your parents. I've been preparing my heart to say goodbye to my mom and dad for about the last 10 years because they're in their 70s, one's in their 80s. One day I'm going to get a call. Mom didn't make it through the night. And I've already put myself there. I'm pushing. I'm going to go up that hill with Jesus just like I do on that bike. A few moments right now. Put yourself in the worst case scenario. I'm living for Jesus. I'm pushing through this. God, give me the strength. Give me the courage. Before we go right now, mean it with the Lord. We're not wishing for harm on anybody. But what you're doing in faith is you're taking on your biggest fears. That's what faith is. Faith isn't the day you got paid. Faith is the day you got laid off. Faith isn't the day you come to church and everybody claps for you. Like Sydney did today, faith is when everybody leaves her Bible study and calls her all kinds of names. That's faith. She has to face it now. Rejection. What will I do if everybody leaves me, doesn't want my Bible study? No one follows me as a deacon. Everyone cheered for me, but they hate me now. What will Sydney do in that day? I believe she'll have faith to overcome few moments right now for our young people. What will you do if it becomes illegal to meet as a Christian? What will you do if everybody forsakes you? Faith, you hand it on down. You hand it down. You live for Jesus. You overcome. You break the cycle. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Can you bless the Lord? How many overcoming today? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come please? Would you stand up with me? After all this talk about bike riding, I feel like going for a bike ride and be like, man, I'm really doing it now. <laughs> Come on. Living for Jesus is fun. It takes courage. How many got courage in this place? Five of you. Amen. All five of you, let's go storm the city wall. Let's go.
takes courage to do this. Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. Please begin to get that song ready. Take courage. As we get ready to dismiss, brothers and sisters, there's some people up here who fought some battles, got some scars, but they're still handing off that blessing. If you need prayer, encouragement, come see them. There are Bible studies even happening tonight. If you haven't joined one, join it. If you need it and you're already a part of somebody else's, go to the one tonight. There's evangelism happening tonight too, right? Get out there. You going to the, uh, the Pride Festival? Where are you going tonight? Southside. Let's go, dude. Come on. We were in Elgin yesterday preaching the gospel. I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, life may have all of these challenges in front of us, but when you have the faith and the courage, it is only you that can hold you back because there's nothing else that will hold you back. When you have faith, can I hear an amen to this? When you have faith and courage, it's only you that can hit the eject. Sometimes I'm just, this is the sermon after the sermon. Sometimes I think the devil watches us hit the eject and goes, hey, demons, did you even shoot at the plane? No, I haven't even shot at the plane yet. They just got scared as God was taking them higher. They ejected. You mean, demons, you didn't even shoot at the engines yet? You didn't put the missile lock on? No, man. God was just taking them 30,000 feet. Boop, they, they ejected. Sometimes I watch people in this church, God just starts doing stuff. You really haven't even faced the attack yet. And they go, oh, 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 I'm scared. Yeah, listen to what the Bible says. You will mount up on wings like eagles. You will run and not faint. You will walk and not grow weary. Those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. Can we just do that before we go? Renew your strength. However you need to worship, would you worship as we get ready to go? Lord, renew our strength. Every mom here be renewed. Every father here. Every hard worker, be renewed. Everyone frustrated with the plan for your life, be renewed in your strength. Every young person disappointed by a parent or a situation that you're in, just be renewed as you worship. The Bible says those who wait on the Lord will be renewed in their strength. Waiting on the Lord means you worship Him. It means you praise Him. It means you tell Him He's good even when you don't feel like it. If all you know how to do is say, I love you, Jesus, just tell them now before we go, I felt this for somebody. You have to worship in the midst of your trial and your test before you see the breakthrough. Worship, worship, and you'll start soaring today. Hallelujah. I worship. I worship my way out of the discouragement. I pray my way out of the, the, the fear. Hallelujah. Before I became a Christian, I had 30 jobs. I was a high school dropout. The longest relationship I was ever in it was three months. Listen, if God can make me faithful, he can make you faithful. In the name of Jesus, I pray for faithfulness to rise up here as we worship. Be of courage. So take courage. We'll sing this and dismiss. Would you, would you do that before we go? I think you'll bless you today. Lift up your voice. Jesus, he's alive. He's not dead, saints. If he rose up, he can raise you up. There's a lot to do. Come on. Even if nobody shows up, I'm going.
as God's children. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, we praise you, Father. Oh, God, we praise you, Lord. We praise you, God. We trust in your name, Lord. We trust in your goodness, God. We trust in your mighty hand, Lord. We submit under your mighty hand today, Lord. God, we know you know all things, God. For from you are all things. For for you are all things. Through through you are all things, Lord. God, we submit our lives to you, God. Lord, in the mornings, we submit our lives to you, God. In our workplaces, we submit our lives to you, God. God, when we come home with our, with our families or by ourselves, Lord, we submit our lives to you, God. As we lay our, our heads down to go to sleep, we submit our lives to you, God. Every single moment, God. Every plan, every dream, Lord. God, we submit it to you. We commit all of ourselves, God, our families, our futures, Lord. We commit it to you, Jesus. Lord, we look to you. We look to Jesus. We don't see the fulfillment of the promises yet, God. But what we do see, we see Jesus. We see how he took upon the cross, God. We see how he saw it with joy, Lord. The suffering before him, God. Lord, we model our very lives before you, Lord. God, I pray right now that we don't compare, that we don't look at what we've done with our left hand and our right hand, Lord, but we keep straight, Lord. We don't look to our left or to our right, Lord, but we stay straight, Lord. God, we don't, we don't become jealous or envious of sinners, Lord, but instead we keep our hope in you, Lord. For our hope in you will never put us to shame, God. May we be able to pass on a life, Lord, not just these, these uh, uh, minuscule things, not these trivial things, Lord, but we, may we pass on a life full of character, a life full of testimonies, a life full of miracles, a life full of consistency and discipline to our children, God. May our grandchildren be able to look in the past and see faithfulness, not brokenness, Lord. Father, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, whether we are new in the faith, whether we've been serving you for 10 years, Lord, may we examine ourselves in light of eternity. May we examine ourselves in light of the kingdom to come, God. May we see your return, and we, may we want to be able to see your face and not be filled with regrets, but may we be able to look at your face with joy, knowing that we've run our race. We've run our race, Lord. We pray this in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Amen, God bless you, saints. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. Feel free to receive prayer. Otherwise, enjoy your day. Make a legacy. God bless you.